Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. There are certain things I made a decision about a long time ago that I would never talk about online. I'm not the person who's going to show up on my Instagram sobbing in tears. I'm going to wait until there's at least a scab on the wound. And the other thing, my team knows this, I've talked about this in other businesses I've consulted, that I will not discuss publicly are vaccines. I don't want to talk about vaccines because I can't actually think of a more controversial topic. I can't actually think of anything we could possibly discuss together that is more triggering for people than vaccines. I've done podcasts all about sex. I've done podcasts all about politics. I'm very happy to talk about money. Those three taboo topics, I will lean headfirst. But vaccinations, while this is an entirely different can of worms, which is why we're going to have a nice, light conversation on the subject matter. And just sitting here, just thinking about the idea of talking about this is making me anxious. I want to be transparent about that, that my intention in having this conversation is not to defend anti-vaxxers or to defend the pro-vaccine movement. It is not to inform your decision around whether or not you choose to get the COVID jab. What I actually want to talk about here is I want to pull back the curtain on this entire discussion. See, one of the things I have universally acknowledged and observed in the discussion of vaccinations is that we can't help but make it black and white. And the truth is, the truth is, I fundamentally believe it, this is a very gray situation. Not just the global situation that we are in right now, but the conversation around vaccines is inherently gray. The problem is the second we want to have a discussion, we label each other pro or against. And I actually think one of the reasons why we don't have more progressive vaccination policies, why we can't talk about this, is because we immediately become so defensive and polarized. I think we can have safer vaccinations. I think that the mRNA vaccine is going to open the door to actual incredible innovations around health. But even saying that is going to get people uptight and upset. I want to create a landscape where it is literally a safe zone to share your ideas and experiences with respect to vaccines. Because if we can have transparent conversations, if we can have people who've had terrible experiences meeting face-to-face and having a constructive conversations with the science, scientists who are developing the technology, I think we can move closer to being able to have public health policy and media support, and scientific inquiry into everyone's concerns. I actually think we can move the needle. And so it's really in that spirit that I want to inform this conversation. I called this 
I called this podcast why I got the jab and why that's not actually your business, because this is the thing that put me over the edge. I got a message a few days ago from someone who used to be a patient of mine. She reached out because she actually didn't know where else to turn. And she said, Megan, I'm becoming increasingly ostracized in my social circles, in my social circles at work, with respect to my friends, in all of the places where I normally convene, because I'm holding out. I have hesitation around whether or not the vaccine is going to be the right choice for me. After we've moved through 18 months of social isolation, People who are stepping back and wanting to make an informed decision around whether or not a vaccination is right for them are feeling increasingly ostracized simply by their desire to approach this from a critical thinking capacity. And if that triggers you, I want you to check in. You see, a few weeks ago, I was sitting, I was watching, I was watching the news and my kids came in and they asked me what I was doing and without missing a beat, I said, oh, I'm just watching the propaganda. I wasn't trying to make a point. They didn't even know what propaganda, they didn't even know what it meant. It just came out of my mouth. It came out of my mouth because literally what I was watching downloaded from the television was exactly that. It was propaganda around the state of what was happening with respect to COVID and the efficacy of the vaccines. And it was propaganda because we saw just one side. See, part of what is informing this conversation, part of what I want to talk about today is not just the landscape of what's taking place, but the idea of informed consent. How do we as individuals where I will espouse, we must take radical responsibility for our own health. How do we actually even make an informed decision when we're only hearing one side of the message? It's part of what I want to throw into that vaccine conversation. So let's, let's first look at this this landscape. And I want to be really clear when we get into this landscape that this entire conversation is about informing a new way for you to think. It is not about informing what I want you to do. See, I made the decision to get vaccinated against COVID for my own personal reasons. It's informed by the dynamic of how our family is pulled together. It's informed by the fact that we, we live in a multi-generational household. That means I need to recognize the health status of everybody around me. It's informed by the fact that I have individuals living in my house, irregardless of age, who have different health risk factors. And it's also informed by a personal philosophy that I believe the body and my body in particular, based on my history, based on looking at my own blood work, based on the decisions that I make with respect to supporting my health on a day-to-day -day basis, I, looking at my genetics and my genetic testing, I have a ton of information that enables me to inform my decision. I believe also that I have a level of physiological resilience where this vaccine, despite not having long-standing history, is something that I would likely tolerate well. And so far, I have. But these are all the factors that went into me making my decision. And the truth is, my unique experience isn't yours. The truth is, what I chose to do with my body, with respect to my health, it's actually none of your business. 
And I'm sharing it today in that spirit, in the spirit of we are casually asking our friends in the park, what vaccine did you get? What's a better question we could ask? Yesterday I was sitting, I don't know, I don't know where I was, somewhere on the internet, and I had an ad retargeted to me, show the world you've been vaccinated with a special I've been vaccinated bracelet or the I've been vaccinated t-shirt. And I ruled my eyes in extreme frustration because what it does is it still starts to alienate those people who want to step back and make a different type of informed consent around their health. This shouldn't be an issue that polarizes people. We should all be celebrating our unique desire and interest to drive health. And that's what I want to talk about today. I do believe we have a radical responsibility to take care of our own well-being. I find it ironic that people who would never dream ever in their lifetime of outsourcing the security of their retirement from a financial perspective to the government, like never would they be like, oh, I'm just going to rely on whatever government subsidy program is around to help support my retirement, are totally willing to hand over the destiny of their health to government agencies and to chief medical officers of health without questioning any of the advice. So this, again, this conversation is really about what types of questions could or should you be asking as someone who is willing and able to take responsibility for your health. See, the conversation of should I or should I not have a vaccine is one of absolute and extreme privilege. And I think also part of having this conversation, also part of looking at these these elements that inform our decision making requires that we acknowledge the privilege that we are in. If we were in a country where COVID was devastating and toppling our healthcare system, where we were running out of places to put the deceased, we would be in an entirely different conversation. Our risks would be in an entirely different place. So it's important to understand that the mere fact that we can have this conversation reflects the privilege that we are in. That privilege is partly predicated on what appears to be, so far, success in mitigating the spread of COVID as a result of vaccines. That is part of the truth we are starting to see, but it is not the whole picture. And what I learned by being a clinician is that the 30,000 foot view rarely tells the stories of the individuals on the ground. We're quick to label the anti-vaxxers, but having treated people in my office who've experienced extreme vaccine injury, I can tell you that what's informing that decision, what's informing that hesitation is by no means universal. For many people who have hesitancy, and I'm not going to call them anti-vaxxers because I feel like there's so much baggage with that, and I feel like it's an untrue label. But for individuals with vaccine hesitancy, many of them have had past experience where they have been injured themselves or a member of their family has been injured by vaccines. I've had patients who within 72 hours of being vaccinated have lost all their hair. Is that going to happen to most people? Absolutely not. They had a genetic predisposition. It was the stress on their system that broke the camel's back, as it were. But these individual experiences inform their individual decisions. I have individuals who have underlying conditions that put them at risk. And so they're making that decision. I have individuals in my practice who had such a deep understanding of their own personal risk factors, had gone so deep in understanding the research around the vaccine that that was informing their decision, which is a right I believe that they should have. 
I've also seen people who are horrendously ill-informed about the vaccines, who can't understand or distinguish a concern about what's in it from the reaction that it's going to place upon their body, the cascades that it will trigger on the other side, who's more inclined to not want to be told what to do than to really care about the health ramifications, who will in one breath say, I'm against the vaccine because I don't want to put something in my body, and the next minute will go outside and have a cigarette. It is a full spectrum of people who have hesitancy around vaccine. I have people who have worked in the pharmaceutical industry and come to the table with an extreme bias around the fiduciary benefit to these companies as a result of producing these vaccines. They can't get past that, and perhaps rightfully so. So I think it's really important that just as you have past experiences, maybe you've had a family member who was desperately ill as a result of contracting a preventable illness, just as you may be equally passionate on the other side, we need to universally understand that we can't apply a 30,000 foot lens onto the history and decision-making of the individual on the ground. As of the point of this podcast, the truth is we are starting to see a decrease in numbers where we are seeing the most successful vaccination programs in place. At the same time, we have zero data on the long-term safety of these vaccines. So while we see data that reflects our present acute situation, we are not necessarily collecting or do we have access to information that helps to inform a story out the other side. And that story out the other side is just as important. We may be putting out the fire, but if we destroy the entire town with the water, we have to look at how we're going to pick up the pieces on that side too. We need to be able to hear the voices of the individuals who are asking us to protect the landscape at the same time. The reality is that vaccines have a long history of being safe, universally 30,000 feet, but not when we go into the ground level. When we go into the ground level, like any pharmaceutical intervention, like any intervention we create as humans, we know that it is safe for most people, but not safe for everyone. The reality is we do a very poor job of monitoring and looking at the long-term safety of vaccines. We're really good at understanding the cause and effect in a short term, in a three-week window as to whether or not a vaccine is creating problems. But just because we don't have a scientific system to analyze the long-term safety of the vaccines doesn't mean they're safe. With that said, one of the ways we need to look at this, and one of the things I would talk about my, with my own patients with respect to supplementation, is sometimes as a society and sometimes as a practitioner, we have to take the best information that we have on the table and we have to lead and we have to approach the intervention from the perspective of let's hedge our bets. Using the best of what we have available to us, what is our best choice moving forward? What's the best course of action for you? And that's really where we're at. I know it's extremely frustrating to watch what's happening, to watch data change every day, but we're watching science happen in real time. 
I want to give you contrast and comparison and anchor you to how normally these clinical decisions are made. Normally, we would have 18 months of clinical trials. Normally, we would have another two to three years of studies being produced. Normally, we would then have that information propagated through medical conferences and journals and information sessions for another two to three years. Normally, from the time we first introduce an intervention to when it actually makes its way into mainstream clinical practice is usually around seven years. I think we can all agree that the acute measures that governments and individuals have put into place in order to manage the situation, there's no way we would manage with those kinds of interventions for the next seven years. We're not all going to go into lockdown. We're not going to all go into isolation. So what's our next best option? For those of you who have hesitancy around the vaccines, for those of you who have been speaking out against this piece of, I don't want to be told what to do, I know you're also coming from a place where you have taken and have continued to take radical responsibility for your health. So it's not just about the vaccine, it's about the supplementation you're engaging in. It's about the five to six to 10 year history of exercise you have chosen to do. It's about the status of of your metabolic system and your cardiovascular system and your immune system. It's about your ability to have decreased all your risk factor markers. It's about your choice every single day about what foods you're going to eat. I understand that you too want to have the freedom to get out there and want to be able to do it without this intervention. I share both of these sides because I want you to recognize it looks so simple from 30,000 feet. But when we get down to the ground, when we're face to face with people, we are all bringing different experiences to the table. So this This is in part a question of safety. This is in part a question around personal responsibility. But in all cases, what I do view this as is a situation that requires that we have the opportunity to move forward in our decision-making from a place of informed consent. When I choose to step up and speak on my social media channels around this entire process, it is not for or against the decision to vaccinate. It is always pro-informed consent and radical transparency. I believe that transparency builds trust. I believe that after this much time of isolating ourselves and keeping our kids home and sacrificing our businesses and sacrificing in many cases our health to keep these elements going, that we deserve that trust and transparency. In the last few weeks, um, my mother-in-law lives with us and she is a conventionally trained physician. And so a magazine arrived from their national association and it was talking about uh, vaccine hesitancy. So naturally, my interest was peaked. I, I won't don't tell anyone I did slip it out of the mailbox when I saw it there because I was like, Oh, this will be good. And it was actually really well balanced. and was actually really interesting. And there was a whole page on how to provide informed consent to patients. And the part that made me smile as I read through it was what was recommended be delivered was not anything I had seen or experienced throughout this pandemic. It's certainly not when it came to me uh, giving my own informed uh, consent, nor was it ever anything I had seen with respect to conversations around uh, vaccinations or frankly, any other intervention in the past. Informed consent is where we ensure that the person who is about to receive treatment understands in a three-dimensional capacity what they are walking into. What the media does not do is provide 
any level of informed consent. There's absolutely a narrative and bias that they are delivering. And it is the job of your healthcare provider. If you're seeing me, it is my job to provide informed consent around acupuncture, around a change in supplement protocol, around any other intervention that I recommend that you check out. It is my job to ensure that you have informed consent, just as it is the job of your physician or whoever is delivering, in this case, we're talking about a vaccine, a three-dimensional view. So what does that mean? What information do we deserve and are we entitled to receive in order to make informed consent? The first is, and I want you to be able to ask these questions, and I want you to check in with yourself on whether or not you have the information that informs your decision moving forward. The first are, what are potential risks? And it said this even in this association um, publication. Actually, it was the it was the regulatory college publication that came out. It said what patients must understand the potential risks, even if they are rare. How many of you have had a physician who has shared with you even the rare potential risks of moving forward with a course of treatment? The next piece of informed consent: What other treatments are available? And what is the quality of evidence that informs their availability? This is a really key piece. So one of the ongoing arguments with respect to COVID and where we are getting new information every day is what is the actual true risk to people? And what are the treatments that are really working? I posted on my social channel within the last few months, there's a study coming out of Europe where they're actually looking at at the bias of researchers not actually looking at unpatented treatments for COVID. And how pervasive is that problem? So now what we're starting and will be able to start to understand is, did we actually just look at treatments that were only going to be beneficial to the pharmaceutical industries? Were we slower at examining treatment interventions that were off patent? Were we definitely slower, and we know the answer is yes, at looking at treatment interventions that were not manufactured by pharmaceutical companies in the first place? Now, we may find that at the end of the day, the treatments that are recommended are, are always the best, but we need to have all the information. We need to be checked in. So are all other treatments that are available, are they also being shared with the patient so that you truly know what your options are? Have we shared with patients the true risk? We're starting to see more and more conversations emerging about true risk. We're seeing these conversations head on when people are evaluating how they feel about having been handed an AstraZeneca vaccine versus one of the mRNA vaccines. What is the risk for VIT? What is the risk for blood clots? It started at one in a million. And then quickly two weeks later, it was one in every 500,000. And then suddenly it was one in every 200,000. And then suddenly it was one in every 55,000. These are moving targets, which is why you deserve to know what the risks are up front, especially when we are in such an acute and active state of scientific evolution. It's moving on a day-by-day -day basis, which means the conversation needs to move too. When we talk about true risk and we talk about vaccinating the population right now, every few weeks we seem to see a decrease in the cohort age of people who are eligible. What the question is that we need to ask is, what is the true risk of those ages? Not the potential risk, not, oh, well, goodness, there's this Delta variant. What could that mean? But what is the true risk that we actually know and acknowledge right now? And how does the risk of intervention compare to the risk of the illness itself? 
These are questions you deserve to have answers to. These are questions that should be answered on your behalf, even if you don't know to ask them. We need to know and we need to be informed. Is there a conflict of interest in sharing this information? There's certainly conflict of interest coming from the government. There's certainly conflict of interest coming from the pharmaceutical companies. There are certainly conflict of interest and confirmation bias coming from the realm of natural health. You deserve to understand what all of those experiences are and the desired outcome of each of these stakeholders when you are making a decision with respect to your health. We need to understand the difference between true risk to us and true risk to not having the treatment. It's not sufficient to just tell people, oh, we are seeing younger people get it now. What younger people? What other conditions do they have? What type of genetic risk factors are we seeing? Because that is the information that informs whether or not there's true risk for me. Again, we can't grab a conversation from 30,000 feet and assume that that applies to us. I recorded an amazing podcast a few weeks ago. It's probably going back five episodes with Dr. Jordan Robertson, where we talked about these pieces. We talked about this idea of confirmation bias. We talked about what do we need to look at and understand as a health consumer in order to make an informed choice? How do we differentiate between the headline that says cholesterol is bad one day and cholesterol is good the next? How do we distinguish when that health headline is actually relevant to us? That applies here as well. It applies in our decision-making here as well. It is critical to delivering our informed consent around an intervention. We need to know who's at risk. We need to know what other morbidities or conditions people are managing because these are the types, this is the type of information that allows us to make a decision with respect to our own health moving forward. So we need to be clear on the biases of information that are being shared with us. We need to be clear on the things that are influencing our own decision-making. What role is the media playing in your decision to make this choice? What role is messaging from social infrastructure? I got an email from the school board a few weeks ago saying, we highly encourage all students 12 and over to be vaccinated, that the evidence for vaccine demonstrates that it's extremely safe, that there is a potential risk, but we're outside of the expertise and purview of the school board. We don't actually know the long-term risks of those vaccines. And the true risk to the kids is evolving on a daily basis. We need to consider the source and the potential bias that those sources have. In many cases and in many countries, we now have governments saying that travel will be predicated on your decision to be vaccinated. Your decision to, to do something to your body should be independent of your capacity and right to maneuver and travel as a citizen. They are two mutually exclusive interests and we have to be aware when bias is emerging. And fourth and lastly, the thing that actually brought me to wanting to have this conversation in the, in the first place is we have to be aware of peer pressure. We need to be able to make autonomous decisions with respect to our health. And we also need to feel safe within our peer groups that we aren't going to be judged for making informed decisions with respect to our own health. So what's my point here? My point is not to be pro or against vaccine. My point and what I want to really hit home 
is our need now more than ever in a state where science is moving quickly, where the messages are being downloaded at a moment's notice. It is imperative that we approach this information as critical thinkers. I went swimming the other day with our kids at this public pool where we're, where we're members and right beside the swim ladder were these huge containers of hand sanitizer. And to me, it was just the perfect way to emblematically demonstrate the lack of critical thinking that it can exist. One, the alcohol is water soluble. So the second you get in the pool, it's going to dissolve. And two, there's no way that hand sanitizer is going to have any influence on you when you get into a chlorinated pool. We need to move out of autopilot and into proactive thinking for ourselves. We need to be able to ask better questions. We need permission to ask better questions and we need to know what questions to ask. This is my point. We need to take care of our health with the same dedication to detail that we are willing to take care of our money. I mentioned this earlier in the podcast. So many of us would never dream of outsourcing our retirement to the government pension that maybe we may or may not be eligible for. We're proactive about those pieces. We find advisors. We, we watch what's happening with respect to the market. Health and money, health and wealth carry such similar parallel paths of requiring information, of requiring proactivity, and requiring radical responsibility if we're going to bear the fruits of that investment later in life. Thinking critically, taking radical responsibility for your own health, looking at a vaccine as one of many opportunities to add to your immune health and add to your protection, that is my point. This is a yes and conversation. It's not either or. And most importantly, we need to stop judging. We need to stop asking, what vaccine did you get? And we need to start asking, what measures are you and your family taking to protect your health? This is how we move forward in an efficacious way. This is how we move forward in a safer society. And this is how we truly all do this together. Guys, I want to thank you for hanging out with me for this episode. I know this was like a little heavier and a little more serious than I normally indulge in, but I really felt it was important to make this point. I really felt it was important that we opened the door on this conversation. And I want to give everyone the the knowledge and the vocabulary and the language and the permission to think critically about how they are going to approach their their health moving forward. I want to hear how you feel about all of these pieces. I'm going to be hanging out on my Instagram today. Hit me up with a DM if this resonated with you. If you want more information around how to have informed consent with respect to your health. Until next week, I am Megan Walker. This is the Anthropology Podcast, and I'll be back with you next Tuesday where we talk about that intersection of health, mindset, and business so you can have massive impact on the world. Take care, everybody. 